Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Hi, it's Shannon. It's been a few weeks, but we're popping back in to share an episode of another podcast, Through the Cracks. It's reported and produced by our friends at WAMU and PRX. When eight-year-old Relisha Rudd disappeared from a homeless shelter in Washington, D.C. in 2014, nobody noticed. By the time authorities formally declared Relisha missing, 18 days had passed since she'd been spotted at school or the shelter where her family lived. Seven years later, Relisha has never been found. Through the Cracks investigates gaps in our society and the people who fall through them. And in this first season, hosts John Quillen Hill ask if Relisha's disappearance was, as the city later claimed, unpreventable. I really appreciate the excellent reporting that went into this podcast and its work to expose problems with local institutions. I think you will, too. Here's the host, John Quillen Hill. Every morning around 1030, I get a text from my mom. It's usually along the lines of, good morning, how are you? We used to talk about what we were up to that day, my hair appointment or a workout class my dad's taking at the Y. Now, she asks how I'm doing on staples like toilet paper or talks to me about the latest headlines. One time, though, I forgot to answer her text. I was at work writing a script and I got really caught up. My phone was set to do not disturb. Around 1.30, she called my desk phone and my coworker answered. Your mom called, LOL. My coworker messaged me. She says to text her. Not everyone has this relationship with their mom. I get that. But what about their coworkers or their friends, their roommates? Everyone has someone who would notice their absence. The question is, how long would it take? This is what I think about every time I think about Relisha Rudd. R-E-L-I-S-H-A. R-E-L-I-S-H-A. Relisha Rudd disappeared nearly seven years ago, in 2014. She was eight years old. She was a second grader at Payne Elementary School in Southeast D.C. By the time the city formally declared Relisha as missing, 18 days had passed since the last time she'd been seen at school or in the shelter. The shelter gave us some place to stay. Uh-huh. Good. And now you say to her, and that's good. Say it louder. Say to her, and that's good. You on a screen. Everyone in Relisha's life has a slightly different memory of where she was in the days before she went missing. She was in an aunt's care or her mom's care. She was at school or with a doctor. D.C. police began an intense search for her, and the whole city took note. New developments now in the search for Relisha Rudd. D.C. police will continue to comb through the Kenilworth Gardens area. Relisha's story stuck with me throughout the years. And I'm not the only one in D.C. who still thinks about her. People all over the city were fixated on finding her long after the trail went cold. Years after her disappearance, I saw her photo on a missing poster at Union Station. Now I want you to say, all kids need a place to play. All kids need a place to play. That was funny the way you said that. Let's try it one more time. All kids need a place to play. All kids need a place to play. This is the only known recording of Relisha Rudd's voice. 
I'm John Willen Hill, and from WAMU and PRX, this is Through the Cracks, a podcast about the gaps in our society and the people who fall through them, like Relisha. How can you have a young girl abducted at a shelter that's run by the city, and apparently she's taken by an employee of the city who works at this shelter? How does that happen before anyone notices? The city never was all in to say, you know, this is a family shelter. Let's make the best of it. Let's make it safe. Let's make it bright. Um, And that really wasn't the case, and that was very clear. Months after Relisha went missing, the city said that there was nothing they could have done to prevent it. So, on the first season of Through the Cracks, that's what we're investigating. We're trying to figure out if anything could have stopped Relisha's disappearance. We'll look at the world she grew up in, her school, the shelter where she lived, her family. The last thing I remember was Relisha telling me she's, she's coming back. She's going to her aunt's house. Episode one, Relisha Goes Missing. I moved to D.C. back in 2009 to go to Howard University. I wanted to go to a historically black college and to live in a big city. And not just any city. Chocolate city. D.C. was definitely less chocolate by the time I got here. It was once over 70% black. Now the black population hovers around 46%. There's a lot of stuff I didn't know at first, like the crazy amounts of gentrification that I saw happen in real time, or the very stark intraracial classifieds that determine how you're treated and what you have access to. Even with all of that, you can still feel the soul of the city. There are pockets here where black people can live and work and love and just be as the default. That's one of the reasons that this story sticks with me. If there's any place little black girls should be cared for, it's here. Relisha had a lot of adults in her life. There was Relisha's mom, her grandmother, extended family. And there were teachers at the school and staff members at the shelter. There was also her stepdad, Antonio Wheeler. She's like, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. So I just said, you know, I'm going to go fair and fix her something to eat. I fixed all the kids something to eat, but she's picky. Antonio is now 34 years old. He'd look a lot younger than that if it weren't for his goatee. He's tall and skinny, and although he's tired from his overnight shift as a cook, he's still animated. He talks with his hands a lot and sometimes accidentally hits the table that sits between us. He really wanted to let me know that being a dad is important to him. He still remembers the first time Relisha saw him as a father figure. So she picked some noodles, and I fixed the noodles. She, oh, my God, these noodles are so good, Daddy. Ain't you my daddy? I was, I was stuck because she was two. You know, that's when I first met her. You know, she was just turning two. So I was stuck. I didn't know what to say. I, didn't, I actually didn't respond to that until like a day later. When she met Antonio, Relisha's mom, Shamika, had two children, Relisha and her little brother. Shamika and Antonio had two more kids together, Relisha's youngest brothers. She liked riding her bikes with her brothers. She liked to race her brothers. She used to always win in the races on their bikes. She liked to play big sister. Well, not play. She was the big sister. She was the oldest sibling. But she was a really good big sister. Like, 
she would get on her brothers when they be acting out and Oh, daddy, they getting on my nerves. I'm like, bless you, you ain't got no nerves. I do got a nerves, daddy, they getting on it. Oh, my God, bless you. The family of six lived in an apartment in Congress Heights in Southeast D.C. Despite the name, it's nowhere near Capitol Hill. It's a majority black neighborhood and low income, like a lot of neighborhoods east of the Anacostia River. In 2013, the family was evicted from their apartment. That's when they moved into D.C. General a huge city shelter for families. It was right near a soccer stadium, a jail, and a methadone clinic. At the time of Relisha's disappearance, Antonio was working on a construction job in Pennsylvania, so he was in and out of town quite a bit. He says he was heading back to the shelter after running an errand when he found out Relisha was missing. As I'm getting closer to the shelter, I start having vibes, like something not right. So every time I get these vibes, my, my palms get to sweaty, my hands get to shaking. So I slice me a cigarette, and I'm standing outside the shelter. I go on the bus, light my cigarette. The director comes to me and says, you need to come upstairs with me right now. You put that cigarette out. So I'm like, you talking to me like that? I'm still smoking my cigarette. She's like, no, Mr. Willow, you need to come on, please. Put the cigarette out. I'm like, okay. thought she was being disrespectful, so I'm like, okay. Antonio was annoyed, but then he heard the urgency in the director's voice. She just asked me, you really need to come upstairs because Miss Young is not cooperating with the police. They saying they don't know where this is. So I looked at her, she looked at me. So I'm like, what you mean? Miss Young is, of course, Relisha's mom, Shamika. She was already in the conference room along with a few detectives, but she wasn't cooperating. And they, the detective told me to ask Shamika what's going on. So I'm, Shamika, what's going on? She just sitting there with her hand on <sighs> Shamika, what's going on? So Shamika never tells me. So the detective said, Mr. Wheeler, you know where your daughter is? Yeah, she at Ashley House. They said, are you sure? I'm like, y'all stop playing with me. She's at Ashley House, you know? So, they, so they're like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah. Why was up? Like, well, we got word that she's missing. Whoa, wait a minute. Shamika, what they talking about? I don't know what they talking about. They lying. These whole FBI agents and detectives. So, so I asked them, I said, can y'all please send somebody over to Ashley House? When the weekends came and they was in the shelter, my niece and my nephews, all of them, was at my home. They called my home baby boo camp. Ashley is Shamika's younger sister. Relisha's aunt. The detectives went directly from the shelter to Ashley's house, also in southeast D.C. They came to my door. They had their guns drawn. They asked me did they have permission to search because Relisha was missing, and I gave them permission to come in to look around and basically to feel free to see that she was not at my home. And she wasn't. Relisha was not at Ashley's house. From that moment, that's when I found out that she was missing. I didn't even know that she was gone. Ashley hadn't seen Relisha either, for about 18 days. The extended family, especially Relisha, spent a lot of time at Ashley's house. So when the police came, there were other kids there, Relisha's little brothers and their cousins, and Ashley's mother, Relisha's grandmother. She hadn't seen Relisha either. It wasn't even really cold. Melissa Young has a very clear memory of this day, March 19th, 2014. 
It didn't even really feel like spring. It felt more like the beginning of summer versus the spring coming in. She remembers the police took her from Ashley's place to the shelter. Antonio and Shamika were still there in the same conference room talking to detectives. I didn't know what was going on. The police officer, you know, your granddaughter, Relisha Rudd, is missing. No, she's not. Yes, she is, ma'am. No, she's not. She's with Khalil Tatum. So let's stop here for a minute before I tell you about Khalil Tatum. I know how this must seem. How could a family lose track of a child for 18 days? How does that happen? Well, one way to think about it is it's a really extreme example of something that can happen in a big extended family. One parent is out of town. The other is busy with the other kids. The aunt and the grandmother are doing their thing. Wires get crossed. You forget which parent is picking up which kid from where on what day. Or think a child is with friend one when she's really with friend two. And most of the family thought they knew where she was. With Khalil Tatum. Tatum was a janitor at D.C. General. A friend of the family. Sometimes he and his wife would look after Relisha. Her family says that she was friends with Tatum's granddaughter and the two girls would play together. From Melissa's point of view, Tatum and his wife were just another part of the village taking care of Relisha and other kids at the shelter, too. Whenever she went, she came and told everything they did, who she was with, who she did it with, everything. She never had nothing negative to say about him, his wife, or nobody else. All the family members I talked to had an opinion about Khalil Tatum. It's complicated. We'll get into it more in a later episode. Just know that some people in her life did think the arrangement was a little weird. Why would anyone trust a shelter staff member to take care of their kid? Also, the shelter had a policy. Staff members were not supposed to have social relations with clients. On the other hand, what reason did they have not to trust Tatum? He was a reliable shelter employee, and Relisha seemed perfectly happy spending time with him and his wife. And Shamika said that everything was fine. And everyone knew that when it came to Relisha's care, Shamika was in charge. Antonio and Shamika split up after Relisha went missing. We've asked Shamika for an interview, but she hasn't sat down with us. I get it. When Relisha first went missing, she was interviewed on TV a lot. And people blame her for Relisha's disappearance. Even now. Some people, seeing her in the street, even try to jump her. So, while we would like to speak with her... We also get why she's declined our requests. Okay, back to Khalil Tatum. Ashley had met him, too. In fact, Khalil had picked Relisha up from Ashley's house before. It's been a minute, so I don't remember the exact date. But all I do remember is he had came to pick up a Easter dress for her to go get some shoes. And she was at my home, and... I was told that he would be picking her up, too. And I know I shouldn't fault myself as her aunt, but I asked myself, what could I have done better for her not to be missing? What could I have done for her not to be in this situation? Police are trying to find 8-year-old Relisha Rudd. 
The little girl was last seen with Khalil Tatum, a janitor at the local homeless shelter where she lived. Relisha's disappearance hit the news almost immediately, and the search began. Investigators knew that she was most likely with Khalil Tatum, so they started trying to figure out where he was. Then came the shocker. In a red roof inn, just outside of D.C. and Maryland, police found the body of Khalil Tatum's wife, Andrea. She had a gunshot wound to the head. Shortly after the homicide of Mr. Tatum's wife in Prince George's County on March 20th, 2014, we have not had additional confirmed sightings of Mr. Tatum. After that, there was a hotline for tips about where Relisha and Tatum might be. TV news stations played grainy security footage of the two of them walking down a hotel hallway and going into a room. The video was recorded back in February, before Relisha was formally declared missing. New developments tonight in the search for Relisha Rudd. New video appears to show the girl and the man accused of taking her in a D.C. hotel. At the time, I was working my first job out of college. I was a desk assistant at NBC's Washington Bureau, and they shared a building with NBC4, the local affiliate station. I didn't realize it then, but reporter Jackie Benson was on the other side of the building, hard at work on the story of Relisha's disappearance. During this video, we're going to show you just grips at your heart. It shows how small and defenseless an eight-year-old is. I recently got a hold of Jackie on Zoom and asked her about covering Relisha's disappearance. She got the job done, but sometimes it was hard. Especially seeing that video from the from the motel with with Tatum holding her hand and how I had I had children that were not that much older at the time. And seeing, you know, usually when a child, you know, you, you, you're at a, at, a, at a hotel or a motel, it's a new place with them. They're all, you know, kind of excited to look around and see what this is. And I just remember her staring straight ahead and her eyes look so flat. And I realized that this is an eight-year-old child and something she's already aware of that something awful is happening to her and that it is likely to get worse or continue. And... I just, it ripped my heart apart. Over the next week or so, more details about Relisha's disappearance came into focus. Relisha had missed more than 30 days of school that year. Some absences were excused, some weren't. School officials say that they were told several times that she was in the care of a doctor. A doctor by the name of Tatum but they never realized that Tatum was actually a janitor at the shelter. Relisha Rudd, her mother, and her three brothers all lived here at the D.C. General Shelter for about 18 months. Khalil Tatum was a janitor here. Tatum has an extensive criminal record that spans from 1993 to 2004. Meanwhile, Relisha's family was struggling to figure out what had happened. Were you and your sister talking about it? Were you and your mom talking about it? Were you guys getting together about it, kind of... I do remember it was tough on the family. All of us was at each other's neck. We wasn't staying together. We was all pointing fingers because we felt like each other was at fault, even when certain individuals was not at fault. Even today, different members of the family have different theories about what went wrong. I, I think she was at Ashley's house. I think she went missing from Ashley's house. This is Antonio again. The reason why I say that? Because that's where the kids was always at when they wasn't at the shelter. It was at Ashley's house. 
Over the next week or so, the search continued for both Relisha and Khalil Tatum. Relisha was in the company of Mr. Tatum with the permission of her mother. On March 2nd, we know that Mr. Tatum purchased, among other items, a carton of black 42-gallon self-tie contractor trash bags within the District of Columbia. Not long after that purchase, Mr. Tatum was in the area of the Aquatic Gardens for a period of time. Then, a few days later, in a shed in Kenilworth Park in northeast D.C., they found Khalil Tatum. According to police, he was dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Police said that the bullet came from the same gun that had killed his wife. Despite searches by land, air, and water, there's been no sign of the eight-year-old girl. But well, good evening. Yellow crime scene tape like this right here surrounds Kenilworth Park. And there has still been no sign of Relisha, and searchers have not given up hope. After the break, the community's long search for Relisha. Hey, we hope you're enjoying this episode of Through the Cracks. I want to remind you that WBEZ and the Motive Podcast are working on a special broadcast event airing on Illinois public radio stations August 28th. We're asking people in prisons for sounds they want to hear from the outside. The sound of their kids' soccer game, waves from Lake Michigan. Somebody recently asked us for the sound of a home run at a White Sox game. We will then do a radio broadcast with those sounds into prisons across the state. We'll also be taking requests from family members, sounds they can send inside, including music requests with messages. If you'd like to send one to your loved one or make a request on their behalf, go to wbez.org slash prisoncast. That's wbez.org slash prisoncast. Okay, here's the rest of Through the Cracks. Lots of people came out to search for Relisha. People who didn't know her, and people who did. Shannon Smith was her cheerleading coach in first grade. Um, We were over by um, Kenworth Avenue in the park. And we would walk through the park. Some of the park police would be out there with us. And we would split up and everybody just be out there walking until we just couldn't walk no more trying to find her. Antonio tried to join the search parties, but he stopped when he started getting threats. A few weeks before Relisha disappeared, Antonio posted some pictures on his Facebook timeline. There was a photo of him with a wad of money in his mouth and pictures of new shoes he and Shamika had bought for the boys. Antonio told me the wad was his tax return money. The pictures were taken in early February, weeks before he knew Relisha was missing. Some people didn't square the timeline of Relisha's disappearance with the date of the photos, and they started posting stuff like this online. Is it possible she was trafficked? It's pretty clear in my mind that her parents sold her to this Tatum guy. If they cared at all about her, they wouldn't have sold her. I'm not saying the mother is guilty, they should be prosecuted. but I have no I suspect sympathy. they may have given her I away. I suspect they may have given her, may have given her away. Since it happened, like I said, I had people in my inbox on Facebook had people on my Instagram calling, just calling me all types of pedophiles and rapists and all that. 
I hate to say it. I hate the people in it. I deal with them. The attacks on social media were just one affliction. D.C.'s Child and Family Services Agency had also taken custody of Antonio and Shamika's other kids. I lost my kids. Alicia missing. Don't know who she is. It's a bunch of lies going on my name. I was really angry at the time. So if I would have saw them people, it wouldn't have been pretty. Or somebody would have got hurt really, really bad. On April 3rd, about two weeks after it began, the city's official search concluded. They hadn't found Relisha. No one knew if she was dead or alive. But people close to Relisha are still looking. There are even some Facebook groups still dedicated to finding her. For like the first year, I didn't have a job. I would drink a lot of alcohol. Um, I would smoke a lot of cigarettes. And I would sleep less. I would eat less for a whole year. So it was hard for the first year. It was hard. Even with my kids being in, in, in foster care, it was really hard. Eating, sleeping. Just trying to get up in the morning, opening my eyes, I just wanted to lay there all day. Then when I was up, I went, found myself at the liquor store buying liquor, buying cigarettes, you know, smoking marijuana, you know, trying to hide the pain. And I'm just now coming to grips that I couldn't control a lot of things that I could. But I'm still, I haven't really processed the fact that she, that relationship is missing. When the search ended, the city started investigating itself. What exactly went wrong here? Who was at fault for Relisha's disappearance? Was it her parents, her school, the shelter system? Where did the breakdown happen? It took the city six months to write the report. It's 12 pages long. Here's a little bit from the preface. The safety and well-being of any child is ultimately the responsibility of his or her parents or legal guardians and family. It goes on to say, Even if all the policy and practice recommendations in this report had been in place and fully implemented, the review team did not find evidence that these tragic events were preventable. I wanted to understand how the city arrived at this conclusion, so I talked to Patrick Madden. Yeah, I just wouldn't, I don't, and like, now he's regional seems, news seems director at WWNO in New Orleans. But back in 2014, he was a reporter here at WAMU, and he covered Relisha's disappearance. I mean, how can you have a young girl abducted at a shelter that's run by the city, and apparently she's taken by an employee of the city who works at this shelter, is missing for weeks before people at the school get in, in contact with family services? How does that happen before anyone notices? And if you do read it and you read between the lines, it basically says um, almost like the family's at fault here. Like the mm-hmm. family dropped the ball. The family wasn't doing this or that. It has nothing to do with the conditions that uh, were let to fester at D.C. General, why the city was putting these families into this place where they would be vulnerable. Why wasn't um, – why was this Tatum guy allowed to work there given his – 
prior uh, felony convictions to work with um, the families there. I mean, it didn't address any of that. So does that seem like kind of what's... I think it's a CYA, a cover your ass. I Mm -hmm. think everyone realized they effed up from the school when they had their student not there for a number of weeks to the CFSA, the Child Family Services Agency, to the mayor. I mean, everyone... Everyone and no one wanted to take responsibility for this. So I think that's what this is. Before we keep going, these are serious claims against the city. Vincent Gray was the mayor at the time, and he ordered the report. He's now a member of D.C. Council. We've reached out to his office multiple times for a response, and they said they'll get back to us. The offer still stands. Admittedly, Relish's disappearance was complex. The city was in a delicate position— ensuring the safety of people within its care without over-policing their lives. We'll continue to unpack the nuances of what this means throughout this season, and we'll keep giving officials opportunities to speak with us. Is it okay to keep shoes on? Sure. Why not? Some people... I'd rather you keep your shoes on than look at my carpet and your socks oh, come you're on looking like my carpet. I have grandkids. <laughs> Excuse my bed. I know, I know it's been almost seven years since Relisha went missing. In the last year, I've been visiting with family members to get their side of the story. And just to check in, Relisha's grandmother, Melissa, is a gatekeeper for the young family. Their matriarch. I've had to go through her to get to other members of the family. In her apartment, there are always kids playing, food cooking, a TV on. When I visited, she took me to her bedroom. Right now, what you all are looking at is my dresser that I decorated with my granddaughter, Relisha's Rudd, picture that I haven't had now for five years from the first event when she went missing. All her little teddy bears, like this one right here, the elephant, it says, I love you. That's her first teddy bear when she was like two. Her father gave it to her on Valentine's. I've gone to her home several times, and each time she's added something new to the tribute. Some of the items are religious things. Her first baby hat, a photo, or a toy. Other times they represent milestones Relisha has missed. A photo from a cousin's graduation or an uncle's funeral program. This is my dedication and my tribute to help deal with the situation. Melissa still buys Relisha Christmas and birthday gifts every year, just in case she comes home. They don't want her to come back and have nothing under the tree. Mainly since she's older, I'm pretty much done bought her, you know, like jewelry with her name on it. I had to send that with my father, her great-granddad, so couldn't nobody take it because her earrings is like real diamonds. So she don't play with toys. She stopped playing with toys when she was eight, so... (laughs) I say, well, okay. She like makeup now, nail polish, stuff like that, smell good. So I just buy that little stuff, drop it in the door. It's like a, uh, what I call it? Her little treasure chest. On this season of Through the Cracks, we'll explore the institutions that touched Relisha Rudd's life. Her school, her family, the shelter, the city services that supported her, what her life was like. In the next episode, we'll look into the lives of her family and how they fell through the cracks, too. I was daddy when things got hard with the family. 
But when things was easy and everybody was wanted to do what they want to go out and send the kids this place and that place, I wasn't daddy. And later this season on Through the Cracks. You know, why would we have to go here? Look at this place. It's the old hospital. I'm just being transparent. Old hospital. And you guys got a bunch of families in here? Like, no. We were constantly bumping up against the clear reality that the children in D.C. General were not valued. I don't know if he became this monster when he came home or when he started working at the shelter or if it was always there. But that's just not who I saw. I know you asked me, like, what more could she have done? Um, But I kind of want to focus instead on what more could the system do for somebody like Ms. Young. Relisha, if you hear us, we want you to know that we will never, ever stop searching for you. Through the Cracks is a production of WAMU and PRX. This podcast was made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people, and also by the Fund for Investigative Journalism. Patrick Fort is our producer. Ruth Tam is our digital editor. Ponzi Rutch is our senior producer. And I'm your host, John Glenn Hill. Our editor is Curtis Fox. My kid mixed this episode. Osei Hill designed our logo. Mona Cashfee oversees all the content we make at WAMU. You can find out more about the show at wamu.org slash through the cracks. This week, we're sharing a timeline of the key dates in Relish's disappearance. Finally, this story has been in the works for a long time, so we'd like to thank a few more folks who got us here. Stephanie Quo, Julia Karen, Paige Osborne, Rupert Allman, Daisy Rosario, Phyllis Kim, Lindsay Foster Thomas, and the entire Project Catapult cohort. Thank you for the gift. We'll be back next Thursday with another episode of Through the Cracks. Thanks for listening. 